Hey everybody, it's Marsha O'Connor with the O'Connor Group and this is Top 3, where entrepreneurs share their secrets. Today I have a dear friend of mine from one of my masterminds that I am partaking in. His name is Joseph Panetta. And he is actually stationed out in Los Angeles, California, so 3,000 miles away from us here in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. But we are so excited to hear his story and his uh, trials and tribulations of being an entrepreneur. So, Joseph, welcome to the show. I am so happy and honored to be here. Thank you so much. I mean, to be joining the ranks of Jeff Hazlett and Jeff Hoffman, it's like at least my first name starts with a J, so maybe I fit in somehow. You fit in absolutely. And the nicest thing is people don't realize sometimes I feel you can be very humble, Joseph. You've had experiences with various types of companies. And I wanted you to start off real quickly about, you know, what you currently do. So currently I run a company called Left of Center Consulting that was actually set up by default, not by design. I actually never intended to have my own company. Um, but when I returned to America from uh, a corporate assignment abroad with the Swatch Group, I was the, um, the chief marketing officer for the Swatch Group in the U.S. and the U.K., and then uh, chief architect for communications for Omega as the official timekeeper of the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. And I returned from that assignment in 2009 at the bottom of the you know, the recession. And there were a lot of people who had a lot of issues and needs, but they didn't have headcount to solve it. So they, I kept getting hired on a project basis, not as a W-2, but as a 1099. And at some point I needed to formalize that. And that's how Left of Center was accidentally born. Wow. And, and so you took it, you ran with it and you made something out of it. And then what did you do with it? You know, it, this evolved over time. And what I did was I took all the things that I was good at and kind of decided to serve them up as a buffet. So where we sit today, Left of, Left of Center Consulting is a brand development, marketing and communications consulting partner. We sit at the intersection of the art and science of brand development and marketing, right? So what we do is help our clients succeed on their terms as opposed to replicating the playbook of a competitor in the industry. So I like to say their ideas less tried, but no less true. So let's go into that. That is difficult. Being an entrepreneur, you know, I, I have the vision, I have the ideas behind it, but how do you get a client to come up with and how do you work with them to really understand what that brand looks like, feels like, and becomes them? Because it's not easy. No, it's not easy, but um, what, you know, there are two things that I use. One is a quote from Salt and Pepper's song, Let's Talk About Sex. And they say, use what you got to get what you don't got. And that's what I help that my clients do is take in the information, the data, the desires. And then what I do is make sense of it for them. I put language around it that gives them the sense of, okay, now I get how all this, I knew somehow in my head that it worked, but I couldn't put it out there. So what I do, our sort of magic, is that we synthesize all of this data and we find that nugget of truth, that sort of like general organizing idea and sum it up in a soundbite. So um, we actually did this just yesterday with, uh, with a new client for one of the companies that I run. Um, and literally he'd, he'd had this idea knocking around in his head for a couple of years. He sat down with us and I said, so it sounds like what you wanna do is this. And I'm like, oh my God, that's it. That's the central organizing vision for this brand. 
And so for me to explain to people how it works, I can't, I don't have, it's the way my brain operates. You know, I think um, you, you probably saw the, uh, the video that I shared a while back about um, the, the icon on my business card of the, all the people in the white shirts and the blue pants. And then there's one person who's in a blue shirt and white pants and that person is me. And the, the story behind that is that when I was 12 years old in sixth grade, our choir teacher said, right, you're graduating tomorrow. You're going to sing for your parents. I want everyone to show up wearing white and blue. Every single kid in the class showed up wearing a white shirt and blue pants. I showed up wearing a blue shirt and white pants. And I did not think anything of it. Literally, I, like, I'm 12 years old. I'm not Machiavellian on any level. When she said wear blue and white, I instantly thought about that blue shirt I had and those white cotton slacks. And that's what I wore. So on the stage, I stood out because I looked different, but I didn't stand out like different for different sake. I wasn't wearing black and pink. I was wearing the same thing everybody else was wearing, but I was wearing it differently. So I showed up differently. That's exactly how I work with my clients. I help them show up differently. So they pull enough attention to get focus and get the sort of consumer behind them. And it's interesting because a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show. And when they are getting started, they all keep saying to me, they want to have brand. And you mentioned a really a powerful word called data. And what exactly do you collect to basically have enough data to start with that process? Pretty much anything my clients can supply. I mean, honestly, they, they, they're the arbiters of their own data, right? Then there's, there's any kind of data treasure trove you can go after, whether it's, you know, Google Analytics on your website or if you want to look at competitive category, right? So you go to um, NPD or Millward Brown or in, any of those things and you look at um, trends in the category or in the industry. But I prefer to help my clients think about their business in the ways that I've seen other businesses succeed. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, years ago, I was the interim CMO at Torneau. And the incoming CEO wanted to change the store to look like the Apple store because he wanted that kind of like iconic architecture. And my position to him was, you don't need to change the architecture of your 44 stores. You need to change the inside, the way people work inside. Because my consumer experience at Apple is I walk in and those people want to infect me with their passion about the brand. They are excited to hear about my problem with my iPhone or my hurdle with my computer or help me find the right thing. They are passionate. When I walk into Torneau, I see someone standing behind the counter filing her nails saying, you say something you like, I'll pull it out for you. You know, there, wa there wasn't a lot of that kind of engagement. So I'm like, if you re-engineer the internal, you'll get the external effect you're looking for. Love it. I love it. But how long does that take? Like for you to know all that, I'm sure it doesn't always come easy and you have to pull out a lot of, you know, open the door and say, does this work? Does this work? You know? And so when you work with a client, what would be great advice to tell them, especially an entrepreneur who has been doing it for two or three years, really trying to figure out what that brand is. What's some advice that you would share to them to figure that out? I like to say that we reverse engineer success. Mm -hmm. So I hear what my client wishes success mm -hmm. will look like. And then I ask them, who, is, who are you targeting? Who's your who, right? Tell me about her or him. How old are they? Like all, all the demographics. And typically they think they know their customer and they believe that they understand their brand. The gulf happens 
between understanding how your brand resonates with your customer. And that's the area to probe because very often they're selling something their target customer isn't buying or they're selling something that a different customer is buying, not their target. And they're scratching their heads like, why isn't this appealing to X? It's appealing to Y, but we want to sell to X. Sort of like, well, there's a problem as, as you heard Jeff Hoffman say with your message, your, your selection of target or your brand offering. And uncovering that nugget will tell you everything you need to know about how to help your client move forward. Yeah. Well, I think for some people, like I'm very, believe it, believe it or not, I have the creative and I have the analytical brain. So I have both. And for me, I'm very much, I probably drive my marketing team nuts in the back end. They're probably going like, yes, yes, she does drive us nuts. Um, but here's, here's the interesting part about it is you really have to have that piece of it. But I think a lot of CEOs, when they start their company, they want to know like, okay, what's it going to cost me? Yada, yada. How do you, how do you get over that hump? Because one of the things I find that CEOs don't do well, especially ones that have been around three to five years, they're afraid to spend the money in order to get what they need to make a lot more money, you know, too, how do you get over that hump with some of your customers? You know, that is a case by case basis. And sometimes the client that's the most open to new ideas is the client that's the most resistant to change. Interesting. You know, so there's a, it's, it's the old, you know, Kenny Rogers song, no one to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away. Sometimes you, you can't help a client help themselves. And other times, ones who are far more open, and, and by the way, openness is not simply relegated to startups. I've seen startups who are just as stubborn as you know, venerated brands. But one of the things that venerated brands and sort of brands that have been around for a while or CEOs who've been in place for a little while, mm -hmm. they have a different hurdle, which is how to maintain relevance to their customer. And you can, if they're already seeing a downscale in their sales or in their, you know, in their spend then you're offering them an option to look at, look, it, the alternative is that you continue to scale down, right? right. Or you can mm -hmm. try something new, go in a different direction, launch a brand variant, a halo brand, target a new audience, twe tweak your messaging just this much. It won't cost you very much, but it's a test and learn. And in a very much digital world that we live in today, test and learn are two words that everybody can get behind. You spend a little bit of money to figure out, is this going to work? And you get those results, you get that data, everyone's a spreadsheet jockey, you analyze it, and then you can figure out if, yeah, this is the right direction we want to go in. Mm -hmm. it, I find that, though, because I think I think a lot of entrepreneurs have a hard time really grasping that. And I see that with a lot of my friends who are entrepreneurs as well. And then you've been doing this for a while, obviously, 2009, and you've had I know, ups and downs and all. But what are like the top three things that you know that have really given you success to really win some really large name clients that you have. You have a wonderful reputation out there um, and you you bring such passion and energy to what you do, but I'm sure you've had some good times and some bad times. Would oh, you mind yeah. describing no, it's, it's one bad? Yeah, see, exactly. Give us an example of a bad time. What, what didn't go your way? Oh my, wow, where do I start? Um, <laughs> You know, there, there was uh, one client, uh, the name I can't share, was a, a 60 year old show in New York um, that needed to be rebranded and refreshed. And pretty much the entire audience they were trying to attract believed that they sold dusty old things. They didn't understand that they were actually, you know, you, you could pick up a piece of history here. And they wanted to market to the appeal to, you know, 
Gen X and millennials, because pretty much they're uh, boomers and over boomers were their target. And so we came up with a different way of framing the show, a different way of putting it out there. And one of the main tent poles, as you know, of brand is consistency. We created a new color scheme, a new way of looking at the brand, a new icon. And it was as universally loved as any association can love anything. Um, but it got a lot of great and positive feedback. The next year, they changed the logo, changed the color. And then the year after that, they changed the color. It's almost like, guys, Nike doesn't change their color every year. They don't change their logo every year. They do it once in a blue moon when you make a brand transition. Now you just look schizophrenic. No. You know? And the thing is that they never, because the, I was told many years ago by my very first mentor in, in work, he was the director of communications at Benetton. And at that time, I really wanted to work in MTV. And he was like, why do you want to work in MTV, Joseph? And I said, because MTV is so cool. And he said, never confuse the product with the people who market it. MTV is run by old white haired men, right? It's not run by young whippersnappers like you who are all 20. Those are the worker bees. They're not the people running it, right? That held true here. The people running this brand were not their target. They were, they wanted to market to their target, but looked at everything through their own lens. And that was the hurdle. And so that was actually, that was, you know, we had one success, but year mm -hmm. two, not successful. And we walked away from the project because we saw how it was going. Wow. I mean, it takes a lot of bravery to, to walk away from projects. And, you know, you know I know that. That's yeah. bravery I learned, by the way. Yeah. That's not, and you never want to do it. But the truth of the matter is I have, one of the things that I've learned in my doing this business is. If I have to take on a client because I need the revenue or I need the money, they're never going to get the best out of me and it won't be the best relationship because it was born out of need, not out of desire. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it was a, it was, it was always hard fraud. And I learned early on, I, I took those clients and I shouldn't have, and it was damaging to me and it was damaging to my psyche. But yep. the truth of the matter is, you know, the ones that I actually align with better are the ones who get the best out of us. Yeah, I, I think that people don't always understand that, um, but I totally agree with you. Now, when you work with a client, are you on your own? Do you have a team? And do you work with outside resources to help you too? You know, I pioneered the idea of uh, a 1099 scattered virtual workforce. Uh, but back in 2009, that really wasn't a thing. And a lot of people raised a hairy eyebrow about it. But the truth is I didn't want to have huge sunk costs because that was going to sap my revenue and kind of like give me a larger monthly nut every month to, you know, between office space and all the equipment and personnel. I didn't need that to run my business. What I needed was a, a laptop and a healthy scope of work. And then what I did was I selected the kinds of professionals who could deliver the work this client was looking for. I have an army of graphic designers, of people who are great with social media, people who are great with advertising and media buying, and I hand select them as the project requires. So my client has one point of contact and that's LOCC. And then what I do is I let them know in full transparency, you only have one bill, you're not getting billed from everybody, I'll handle all of that. And then I will act as this sort of like leader and lead all of these people according to the plan that we've aligned to. That way my clients get the best quality product at the least expensive cost and it's faster because everyone is going through one point of contact. 
It's brilliant, actually, because I, I see that um, that model um, actually taking off even more so after COVID because yeah. the gig economy is here to stay and getting stronger because they can't find talent. And so they're taking people now as a 1099. And if you could do two or three days a week, I'll take it. But knowing if you have like almost like a director of operations behind the scenes to manage that whole project management side of the house and putting it all in place. Brilliant, because um, so many people are looking for help, but they are all over the map. And a lot of CEOs usually do their own recruiting, and I just shake my head at that when I hear that. But I feel as if um, having like a you to help them with that process would be very instrumental too. So yeah, we actually had that conversation with that client yesterday. He was like, "I, you possess all of the skills that I don't. What he has is the idea and the access to actualize it. But we can actually make the concept work." And get it yeah. to that point to that, that he can deploy, and it will be a tremendous success. I'm I'm actually super excited about that business. Oh my gosh, that would be just awesome! And setting it off because you do, like you mentioned, you have all the contacts. And I think one of the things people are afraid of is that they're putting a lot of hope and effort. Oh, this person referred to me. You don't know if they're good or not yet. And here you're putting their emphasis and your pennies all into this person, and you realize maybe it's not the right fit. But having you to basically streamline that, oh my gosh, that that's just, that's just brilliant. Um, because I think a lot more people are looking for help. And if you could put that together, they get the best and brightest, and you manage all that, it's a win-win. Absolutely. So where do you see yourself going? What's happening? What's next for Joseph Panetta? You know, that's that's a very loaded question. Um, right now, I am I'm actually the uh, CEO of three companies and the CMO of two. So <laughs> what would be next is that um, we can somehow, uh, you know, th that one of these things really does take off, um, or maybe more than one. But I am the CEO of my own company, right? I am the CEO of California Skin Secrets, which is launching its first uh, cannabis-derived skincare um, elements this summer. Uh, probably at Cosmoprof, if not before. And mm -hmm. then there's another company that I helped to co-found called Phoenix Product Technologies, and that has its own brands. It has agency services, and it also has white label manufacturing. Um, and I'm actually talking with Connor and Brandon, our, our mastermind colleagues, tomorrow about that company. And right. uh, and then finally, I am the I'm the CMO of a company called Cutis.ai, and that is a software platform where people can actually have their face scanned with their phone and get a complete diagnostic um, generated by an artificial intelligence that will help them achieve their goals, keep them compliant on their product choices. We are not uh, product focused. We are what's the word I'm looking for? We are ingredient focused. So if someone has an issue with acne, the AI will tell them, okay, you're a 16 year old girl. Um, you've started your cycle, you have issues with acne, you need a higher level of benzoyl peroxide, here are some things you need to look for in, in a product or brand. So it's agnostic in terms of the brand but focused on the ingredients for results. And then it will link you up with a, a licensed esthetician or, or a physician's assistant or dermatologist to have a prepaid consult. That's brilliant. I love it. And my team is saying, please send samples. So uh, <laughs> I love it. I'm going to introduce you to my sister-in-law, Amber Milt, and she has a wonderful podcast series called Art and Beauty, and it is all about the skincare line of everything. So she actually interviews um, these amazing people who have these amazing skin lines um, and cosmetics, you name it, and um, all the way to like the scrunchies in your hair and what to wear with a hat and what hats take off most hair. It's fascinating, um, all of her topics of conversation. 
and she is in that uh, whole media world up in New York City. I did introduce her over to Vinny um, from our mastermind. Um, so the two of them are talking, and uh, so that, they have a lot in common. But I'll introduce her to you as well because I've, for your um, your skincare line, it would be good visibility as uh, her podcast goes out to a lot more people. But uh, it's always good awesome. to hear the stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So how do you? Yeah. Go ahead. Now, how, how do you find time to do all three? Um, you just do. You know, <laughs> first of all, I'm surrounded by groups of great people, and that's very helpful. In that, in in the sort of senior executive capacity, you're really there for like vision yep. to make sure that, and and to kind of like delineate and make those kind of uh, Solomon decisions about like what are we going to do with this issue problem? How are we going to solve this? And I'm super, super customer focused. Like I, they, they are the ones who are going to make our business. And as Jeff Hoffman shared with us recently, your problem isn't funding, your problem is sales. And so you generate more sales by keeping your clients happy. And how do you do that by you? Because it's, it's hard to do it. You are the leader. You are also that person maintaining things. You're like a director of operations. You know, um, I know you have teams of 1099s out there, but how are you doing that? Because a lot of entrepreneurs are in the same shoes right now. How are you keeping your head above water? Keeping my head above water is really about making sure that I balance my, my work in life. And let's face it, these days, the pie, right, used to have like a big chunk that was work and you had a chunk that was commute and a chunk that was family time and, a, you know, these other chunks for self-care, et cetera. Now that pie is just all work, right? It's up to you to determine, it's up to me to determine what amount of time I'm going to give to work versus I can't give from an empty cup. We heard that from Tim's story yesterday on our mastermind call. So, you know, that's, I, I hope to lead by example and to share with people that, you know, you can do this if you allocate the time accordingly and relentlessly triage. Focus on the things that are material to your business right here, right now, and get that done. Breathe while you're doing it and move on. Well, I, I agree with that. But a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, have trouble doing this. And do you belong? What other things do you belong to to basically ask for ideas and opinions? I mean, uh, for those of you who don't know with our audience, so um, how I met Joseph is through a mastermind in regards to doing videos. And for both of us, it's getting more comfortable doing videos to talk about life experiences, you know, to get people to get to know us and trust us out there. And we have a really dynamic team and we're having a lot of fun doing it. But it was really interesting. We're all very similar in regards to how we work and what we do in life and how we look at life. But it's it's really making sure that you're comfortable in your own skin when you do these videos. And it sounds as if like you are already there, like you have that, but you're also very self-aware. And so you bring up really... Like if I asked you a question like that, one question I asked you the other week, you know, what do you want to be known for? It You take it and you really um, put a lot of thought and effort into it. And so you're definitely a really great listener. And not all people that I talk to are, are good listeners. They just want to keep on talking. So how did you learn that skill so well? Like what were some of the things in your life to get you where you're at today to be a really good self-aware listener? Well, first of all, thank you. That's a very big compliment. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the the listening bug comes from two things for me. And one was nature, one was nurture. Um, the nature part is simply the way my brain works. Um, at, you know, as you've seen thus far, when, when we have a speaker come onto our, our group, 
I tend to ask a question that's kind of like out of left field that is sort of, and they, they get very energized because they're like, wow, that's a good question. And the only reason I do that is because that's where my brain went. Like I just mm. followed the breadcrumbs in my head to get there. <laughs> um, and the second part is, uh, you know, I shared with you earlier, growing up in Mississippi is like growing up in a Tennessee Williams play. So it's all about what's left unsaid. You learn how to read a room and how to understand people through their behavior, through what they're not saying, through, you know, how they interact with other people and watching that, listening to that, listening for that, listening for the thing you didn't hear was the nurture part. And the nature part was just, you know, the hardwiring in my brain. Well, you have definitely mastered that because every time we meet all your videos and all, you bring up topics, but you, when you basically speak about them, you really have a good way to reflect and have you think about exactly what you've said. But it also tells me that you're very self-aware. And I think one of the things with sales is you have to be extremely self-aware as well as picking up what's in the room and reading the room. And I think people will just want to go right to the kill. And I always tell people, you don't want to go for the kill. You want to read everything it's already telling you in front of you, which probably makes you so strong in brand marketing because this is what you do and for a living, um, which is pretty dynamic. But it's also pretty cool to see where you've come from to where you're at today. So I think that's that's awesome. Well, really thank nice. you. You know, I, I remember once many years ago, um, I, I might have to do a, a one of our Brandon videos about this. I had a client. And, you know, we had our weekly phone call with our client. I was in the agency with the team and he was definitely, I could tell that over the last few weeks, he was off. He was a little bit bitey, a little bit snipey, and I couldn't quite figure it out. So I concluded the call. I dismissed the team and I picked up the phone and I called him and I said, Jim, who peed in your Cheerios? And he said, what, what do you mean? I was like, for the last several weeks, you've been really snipey, grumpy, like something's going on and I need to know if it's us. Right. Like, isn't us, like, are we failing somehow? Are we not giving you what you need? Because my job is to, you know, course correct if that's the case. Yep. And he sighed and said, it's not you at all. Um, we've had so many changes here. I just don't know that, like, you know, this is going to be a place for me to stay in the long term. And I said, ah, okay. So I now understood this wasn't about us. And it wasn't about what we were doing or the work we were delivering. This was a him situation, right? Mm -hmm. Three weeks later, he called me to tell me that he'd resigned and he's going off to another company. And I said, wow, that, wow. Okay. So help me understand what prompted that. And he said, when you called me and asked me that question. And I said, what, why did my question prompt you to go find another job? And he said, because I realized when you asked me that, that my attitude was spilling over into my work life. And all I could be was simple, honest, and authentic with him to be like, dude, something's clearly wrong. What is it? Right? By putting it on the table and identifying the elephant in the room without judgment, right? Raising my hand and saying, it's here. Can we deal with it? And is there something I need to know? Gave it a level of honesty and a level of approachability that he hadn't had. But as he reflected on it, he realized that that behavior had been shadowing him and he needed to do something about it. He and I are still great friends to this day. But I think that story shared that that reinforced for me that experience reinforced for me that when you can be direct and honest without level of judgment or de or defense or anything like that, you open up a doorway to truths that can be left unspoken. I, I couldn't agree with you more. So one of the books that we read, read in our book club here is called Radical Candor with uh, Kim Scott. 
Great book, exactly what you just said. And it's really having those honest conversations because they needed to hear it, but it's also how you deliver that message. And majority of the time they will pick up on, not all the time, but majority of the time they'll pick up on it and realize that and say, I have to do something different because this is definitely coming through. And now people are starting to see it. So again, they're also self-aware, but sometimes you can have that conversation that people are not self-aware. So it can also backfire a little bit, but I'll take my chances. I'd rather be upfront and honest about it because it's not helping anybody on the team. Exactly. Sure. You can only control you, right? You can't yeah. control them or their reaction, but you can make the delivery. So, you know, the, the old saying that our mothers always told us, it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. A hundred percent true. And delivered with a dose of humor, like who peed in your Cheerios, it caught him off guard. It made him giggle a little bit because just the visual. And then he's like, okay, what, like, what is this about? Now he was already like definitely wearing the grumpy pants, like totally. Yep. But having that conversation, he was able to just say, all right, you know, yeah, there, there is something more here, but it has nothing to do with you. So that, that, and that has repeated itself in my life with, with employees, with people on my team, you know, with, uh, with other clients, with bosses. And sometimes you hear that, yeah, it is you. It is something that you're doing. You have to be ready to receive that feedback. Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook was um, quoted not too long ago. Uh, she was asked, what's one pearl of wisdom you would give to people coming into Facebook or looking for a job at Facebook? And she said, it's not just people coming into Facebook. It's people coming into the workforce overall. They need to learn how to receive feedback. And it's, a, it's true. And what she was saying is, be an adult. Understand you're not going to do everything perfect. And you don't get an award just for showing up. You need to be able to perform at a certain level. There is an expectation and you need to be okay with that and okay hearing where you may be meeting or not meeting that expectation. And it isn't a personal um, insult or assault, uh, assault. It's actually a gift. Mm -hmm. right? It's saying you could improve here. And I'm always interested in the areas where I can improve. I would agree. I still think there are some very highly sensitive people out there that don't look at it that way. And you have to figure out how to best have that conversation and coach them through it. But I do think I would rather be told, you know, hey, that was horrible. Okay, cool. Well, what do you suggest for next time? I would rather know than not know, um, because I think it's embarrassing. And it's bad on my end, too, as I'm not a good, I don't think I'm a strong enough leader if I'm not doing that myself. So we actually have a thing here in my team um, when we do EOS, which is Entrepreneur Operating System. And what we do with my leadership team is we go around the room every quarter, what's working well and what's not working so well. And it can get a little awkward, you know, but I think when you do the positive around each other, then you do the one thing to just work on. Not saying it's bad, but we just, we see it and we know it. And one of the things people had told me was literally to um, be in the moment talking to them. And I gotta be honest with you because there's so much going on. It's, it's still hard for me. It really is. But I always tell them like, okay, if you really want a serious deep conversation, make sure I'm walking or I'm in my car. I want nothing around me because I want to give you 110% attention. But for a lot of people, it's hard to do that. And I would rather someone be honest with me instead of hearing on the outside and then not telling me to my face. And I see that a lot of times. And being an HR consulting firm, going into a lot of clients, a lot of times, one of the reasons why we go in there is because they say one thing. And what the real truth was, they didn't have the conversation. And they were too afraid to have a conversation for like five years. And you're like, oh. It would have been so simple just to have that conversation. And so 
Yeah, it's a shame. Everybody's afraid of hurting someone else's feelings. And we just really have to move on from that because there's a way to do deliver your message the, the right way. So top three is the top three secrets. What's the number three secret that you can share with your entrepreneurs today? Top three secrets. Um, I would say don't try to fit in. Be authentically you. Deliver what you deliver the way you deliver it because someone's going to hire you for that. That's your superpower. Do not be, don't walk in the room as Clark Kent. Walk in the room as Superman. Oh, love it. I love it. I just want to put up a big logo out there. Exactly. Superman. By the way, that's why someone's, and if they don't hire you, they didn't want Superman. That's okay. Mm -hmm. That's not bad for them. And, but it would be bad for you if you, if they said they wanted Superman, but really wanted Clark Kent, then that's the wrong fit for you because yeah. that's who you really are. Yep. Right. I love it. I, I would never, I would never take on a client purely for the money. I think that's a, that's a bad place to be. And I would never be without reserve cash because you want to be able to be selective about the clients you take on without having that, you know, heel on your throat of whether or not you're able to, uh, you know, pay for things. Cause that for me, that's the real entrepreneur struggle is it's all around revenue. Oh yeah. Revenue, oh. reputation and, and sort of recurring client work. Yes. Cash is king and queen and everything every, in between. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, listen, it's every single move on the chessboard. Yes. Oh my gosh, it is. Um, but for some people, they feel like they start a business, they want to have the, the nice office, the nice system. Like, forget all that. Get the revenue supply in first, put it back into the company, get to hire the right people, do the things that you don't want to do and have them do it. And yeah, but yeah, sometimes it takes a little bit longer for people to get to the water. So it's all good. So tell us what you do for fun. What do you do for fun? It sounds like you're crazy busy. So I'm sure you do something for fun. I do. And what I used to enjoy travel a whole lot before I couldn't enjoy travel a whole lot. Um, but I, I am blessed. I, I moved from uh, after three decades in New York City, I moved to Los Angeles and we live in a beautiful spot up in the hills with uh, access to um, a wonderful path that leads you either to the, uh, the Hollywood Reservoir, like Lake Hollywood, mm -hmm. or up to behind the Hollywood sign. And we overlook Griffith Park. So taking hikes with my dog is probably one of the most stress relieving, fun things I can do because you really are in nature just a few steps from the house. And that's that's a real gift. Oh, well, I see some of your pictures in the videos. And I'm just like, where are you in Los Angeles? It's <laughs> gorgeous background. So I'm very jealous about it's that. It's hard to find an ugly spot here, I have to say. I mean, I when, when my New York friends ask me about LA, I constantly say that I, I wish the people were less gorgeous and less vapid. <laughs> and I wish that the food was more delicious and less expensive. But that's why I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> no matter where I go, I'm a displaced New Yorker. I just have great weather. Oh my gosh. Yes, you do. You have way much better weather than we'd have here in Philadelphia. Um, so also podcasts. Uh, this is a podcast. So I'm sure you listen to several podcasts. Top two podcasts you listen to. The first one would be uh, Live Happy mm -hmm. um, for two reasons. One, I co-founded the platform and uh, it is the, the, the voice of the burgeoning happiness industry. And um, so I have a, a kind of vested interest in that. And I love hearing about the new science um, because a lot of the, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the happiness category is filled with things that are considered to be fluff or like attitudinal or whatever. I like hearing about the nun study from 1986, you know, like the, those kinds of real scientific breakthroughs are fascinating to me. Um, 
And the second is I listen to pretty much anything Simon Sinek can put out. Oh my God, he's great, isn't he? Um, so simple. Um, the why and just, I love him. I absolutely it's so honest. It's honest and it's earnest. Yeah. And I just, uh, I love that. And it's, it's the thing that if you quote it to a lot of the CEOs that you were talking about that are afraid to spend the money and afraid to take the risk and all those kinds of things, they're operating from a scarcity mentality and a fear mentality versus a visionary mentality. Yeah. Um, and you know, it depends on what kind of vendor you want to be. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a vendor, you can work with people with a fear mentality. If you want to be a partner, you need to work with people who have a visionary mentality. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And being around like kind people as well, like I belong to EO, which is my entrepreneurs organization, and it's a global organization. But every time, every chapter, everybody I meet, it's like an automatic, you know, welcome to the team kind of mentality because we all speak the same language and we're most of us are visionaries, a few integrators, but it's just really great to have other people that understand what it's like to pay payroll and, and have all these issues and, you know, and growth and, you know, um, you know, you lose your line of credit, you know, all those fun things for sure, which is nice. Well, all those, all those hurdles that we, that we come up against mm -hmm. make us smarter if we're paying attention. Cause yeah. if you're just looking at the hurdle, then you'll get over the hurdle, but you'll repeat it. But if you're looking at the lesson in the hurdle, then your chances of repeating it are a lot smaller. I always thought it's going to be really hard to phrase this whole podcast. You've given us such great little tidbits there. It's going to be a lot of fun to do that. Um, and then books. Are you a book reader or are you an audible? I am a book reader. Um, I'm, I'm too old fashioned that way. I like to feel the actual hardcover in my hand. Um, I am currently rereading Think and Grow Rich, but the book that I finished most recently that I love was Greg McCann's Essentialism. Um, and you were asking me earlier about like how I carve out time and that mm -hmm. relentlessly triaging, that's predicated on what I learned from reading Essentialism. Interesting, I love you, it. You learn to starve the noise and only pay attention to the news. Love it. I love it. And then um, how do people get a hold of you? Um, the easiest way is uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram uh, and Facebook. But uh, probably the easiest way is Joseph at LOCC.me. So it's left of center consulting, LOCC.me for me. Oh, that was easy. I like that a lot. Um, and then I would say, who is the person that you look up to the most in your life? Who's the person I look up to the most in my life? Wow, that's a big question. Because um, there's like a, a veritable gallery of folks that, that I look up to for different reasons. Um, but I'm probably going to go with, I, I had a boss at an agency. Her name is Marina Mar. Her, her agency's still around and she's still around. And she, she did two things for me that no one else had done up to that point in my life. She demonstrated that she understood me as a person before she understood me as a professional. And she understood how those two things were best brought together. And secondly, she led by example. And that's where I learned how to lead by example, right? Like she really did everything that she would ever ask you to do. She already did or would do, or would do herself. So she's someone that I still hold near and dear, that I still look at as a mentor and as a friend. And I treasure the time that I spent there because I learned so much. Nice. I love that. 
I love that, that um, you've said her name and to get acknowledged like that, but it's, I'm sure it means just as much to her. So uh, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. Um, I can't thank you enough today, Joseph, to be on my show. And uh, we have had really good response to this of all the entrepreneurs out there just listening about how to do things better, how to fall down, how to get it back up and all. So thank you for your time today. Thanks for just being you. And uh, for those out there that, you know, want to partake, Joseph Panetta, you know, he is on LinkedIn. He gets back to you really fast. And um take and listen and learn to all of his great tidbits here. So thanks for your pearls of wisdom today. And for those of you out there, keep on plugging. Entrepreneurism is a lot of fun. It goes up and it goes down, but it's completely worth it. It's and a roller that's too much fun not to ride. Thank you so much, Marcia. This was an honor and a pleasure. Oh, thank you, Joseph. My pleasure to have you and you're always a joy to be around. So um, guys, it's Marcia O'Connor. This is Top 3 Entrepreneur Sharing Secrets and we'll catch you next time.